You're listening to a Count Out Podcast. So, the first time I've ever seen the first time in 1991, the first ever G1 Climax was born. Replacing the former World Leagues and IWGP League tournaments, this new tournament took the top heavyweights New Japan Pro Wrestling had to offer to see who truly was the best in the promotion. But not everyone got the opportunity to compete in the G1 Climax. After all, the G1 Climax was for the best of the best, and to be invited in was an honor in of itself. Some wrestlers never appeared, while some competed year in and year out. Today, however, we will be discussing the men that got the call only one time. This is G1 and Only. Welcome to G1 and Only. My name is Ryan Knightsey. On today's episode, we are discussing a man that has little to no association with New Japan Pro Wrestling. In fact, there was never a time where this man was even contracted with New Japan. We are talking about one man who was with All Japan Pro Wrestling from 1992 to 2000, then joined Pro Wrestling NOAA. By 2003, he was already a five-time tag team champion and a one-time GHC heavyweight champion. In our present day, he's the current KOD openweight champion for DDT. It's Mr. Blue and White, Mr. Christmas himself, June Akiyama. Thank you, everybody, and returning to G1 and Only. We're back talking about the 2003 G1 Climax. We skipped 2002 because obviously it didn't affect us, uh, but now we can officially say that New Japan has been doing this tournament for over a decade now. It is, uh, I believe 2002 was its 10-year anniversary, and now we're on the 11th time uh, the G1 Climax has taken place. It has certainly cemented itself into wrestling lore, like WrestleMania, the Royal Rumble, Starcade, and the like, it's become an institution at this point. And obviously, like every year, it's continued with another 12-man round-robin tournament. 
Despite still being in the midst of a Nokiaism, this year's G1 Climax looks great, especially our block that we're focusing on, Block A, with many old faces and a couple new. But like I said on the top, we want to focus on Pro Wrestling Noah's own June Akiyama. During the early 2000s, another wrestling promotion in Japan called Pro Wrestling Noah was on the rise. Its viewership and popularity was increasing year over year, maybe since they were continuing the promotional stylings of the late Giant Baba and 90s All Japan, aka wrestling and not MMA, slight Anokiism dig. So much so that they were able to secure a TV deal where the Wrestling Observer named Noah's weekly TV show the best in 2003. Seeing that Noah wrestlers were allowed to work on other companies and New Japan popularity and more importantly its financials were on the decline, it made all the sense in the world to bring in a Noah guy into this year's G1 Climax. That's where we find Jun Akiyama. But let's look into him himself. He was born October 9th, 1969 in Osaka, Japan. Jun Akiyama was athletic at a young age, competing in swimming, judo, and freestyle amateur wrestling in high school. He eventually joined the amateur wrestling team at Senshu University and caught for, you know, for college, known for having other famous wrestlers on that amateur wrestling team like Riki Choshu, Hiroshi Hase, and Minabu Nakanishi. Akiyama was scouted by All Japan Pro Wrestling and would make his professional wrestling debut in September 1992 against Kenta Kobayashi. I'm sure that was a terrifying first match. Following his debut, Akiyama would join the tag team division, teaming with Takao Omori. After Misawa's split from Kobayashi, Akiyama was hand-selected to be that replacement. He would go on to have a lot of tag team success and even go after the Triple Crown Heavyweight Championship, but was unsuccessful every time. When his team with Misawa ended, Akiyama then teamed up with Kenta Kobayashi to form Burning, where they would go on to win numerous tag team titles. Following Giant Baba's death and confusion over the direction of All Japan, Misawa, Akiyama, and half the roster left and created Pro Wrestling Noah in 2000. Here, Akiyama dropped his trademarked blue and white attire. Here, Akiyama, dri- Here, Akiyama dropped his trademark blue attire to differentiate himself from his past performance. He quickly rose to prominence, turned heel, and became the second GHC heavyweight champion. He would defend the title a couple times, including in New Japan as well, but there wasn't enough challengers, so Noah then shuffled the title back to Misawa and put Akiyama in the tag team division to help make more stars. But before we get into the actual G1 Climax of 2003, let's talk about this show's format moving forward. I have the matches here for us to break down, but moving forward, I won't do the full move-by-move breakdowns, the sort of analysis commentary that I've been doing. I want the show to be more of a historical look at the G1 Climax and the competitors within. Also, there will be many matches to discuss moving forward with this new round-robin format. Uh, Just alone, this show will have, you know, with the 12-man, it is at least five matches, not knowing whether or not they get to the semifinals or the finals. Soon it becomes uh, a 16-man, then I believe it becomes a 20. Uh, So we're going to get a lot of matches very quickly. So doing a lot of that play-by-play, move-by-move commentary is just going to extend this podcast's uh, runtime even longer. I can't spend half my show talking about multiple 30-minute matches, folks. So I've chosen to spare you that. 
I will be looking at our G1 and only wrestler's journey with night by night block updates, along with my match reviews and key spots I loved. With all that being said, let's start night one. Night one begins with Junakiyama taking on pre-bullet Tenzai, the master of the Mongolian chops, and at the time of the tournament, an eight-time G1 Climax wrestler. Like I said at the top, instead of play-by-play commentary, I'm just going to point out some very interesting notes that I took down. We started off this competition with a very strong lockup to start. You love to see it, both men uh, using that feeling-out process to try to see who is the stronger man. Tenzan known for being a bull, Akiyama also known for his strength. Amazing back-and-forth lockup. Crowd was super hot for it. Like I said, it's their, that feeling-out process, trying to showcase your strength versus the other man. Again, Akiyama has been in New Japan before, but not really in this context of these, these tournament matches. Tenzan ends up winning the open exchange, forcing Akiyama to escape to the outside. Uh, the Mongolian chops get a huge crowd reaction when first used after a couple minutes into the match. Uh, it, however, takes multiple boots to finally take down Tenzan uh, from Akiyama. This sort of idea is like uh, Tenzan, of course, being the bull. It's going to take him some time to take down the stocky Tenzan. Uh, Akiyama goes for a running knee into the corner. Nakiyama, one of his signature moves, is a high running knee uh, strike, similar to today, sort of like a Hikaru Shida a little bit, Kenny Omega type, using that running knee. Uh, but Tenzan literally brushes him off while he's doing that running knee. Akiyama takes Tenzan to the outside and lands three DDTs onto the entrance ramp, causing the referee to reach a 19 count for great suspense. I love that spot. Um, really, just, I had a note down here. Akiyama has beautiful high knees. Uh, he looks really great, real crisp. Like I said, very Omega-esque type for those modern fans. Um, real classic New Japan wrestling here as well with ignoring stiff shops for the moment persevering with heart and just being two tough guys going at it in the ring Akiyama at one point hits a huge diving elbow drop for a two count then straight into a guillotine choke one of his finisher moves uh, Jun Akiyama has is a guillotine choke he likes to call the king crab lock Tenzan, late in the match, starting to get tired, but Akiyama sort of never lets up, hitting a beautiful suplex for a close win. Um, Tenzan goes for two diving headbutts from the top rope and was so close to the win that it even popped me. I thought Tenzan was about to win it. And speaking about popping me, I got to talk about these crowds, folks. Um, I, (laughs) it's going to be a point throughout the show. Missing the crowds. These crowds are incredibly hot. These crowds are off their feet, screaming as loud as possible. It makes it so much harder to watch uh, modern 2020, 2021, early 2021, hopefully, uh, New Japan matches, these clap crowds. It is such a difference. Uh, by the time you're listening to this, uh, I've recorded this after Castle Attack, a New Japan's 2021 event, 
um, and I watch all these matches the day before the Castle Tech happen. Uh, so I went from these hot, extremely hot, great matches to uh, the <laughs> sort of uh, clap crowd, silent cl- clap crowd. So it's, it was a, such a striking difference between the two. Uh, Tenzan goes for the Moon Soul, one of his signature moves back in the day, but Akiyama dodges it and puts Tenzan into the King Crab lock again and gets Tenzan to get knockout. Not enough for the three count. Basically, he Tenzan basically collapses. The referee doesn't call it because Akiyama flips Tenzan over. He's looking for the three count. He doesn't want a ref decision. He doesn't want a submission victory. He wants a definitive pin. Again, he's representing Noah here. He's representing a, a, a basically an invader. Uh, presence in this tournament. He wants that definitive win that makes him look even better. Akiyama hits two suplexes and gets the three count for the huge defining win for the start of his tournament run. Conclusion. Jun Akiyama defeated Hiroshi Tenzan in 19 minutes and 43 seconds to earn his first win of the G1 Climax Tournament, receiving two points for his effort. The match took place in the main event spot on the card, and as said previously, it felt great to watch. Uh, The match was a departure from the Nokiest matches of previous years, and not only did Jun Akiyama provide a presence and star power to the tournament, it reminded me, and I imagine the fans of the time, that the Puro style of wrestling still holds strong and will not be going away. Tenzan played his part perfectly as the bull, showcasing each other's strength in the opening lockup and then continued throughout the bout. You can see the fighting spirit in this match, quite obviously. Neither man wanted to lose this opening match. Neither man wanted the other company to get the win. In my opinion, this match was simply amazing and a great start for Jun Akiyama's G1 Climax run. Block A, Night 1, ends with Jun Akiyama, Masahiro Chono, and Manabu Nakanishi with two points. On the other hand, of zero points, we got Hiroshi Tenzan, Usamu Nishimura, and Hiroshi Tanahashi. Moving into night two, Jun Akiyama tries to increase his lead against catch wrestler, cancer survivor, and four-time G1 Climax wrestler Osama Nishimura. What Osama Nishimura is known for is his technical wrestling. So a lot of the start of this match is back and forth technical wrestling, Matt style, a very much a different style from the previous match with Tenzan. It gives a chance to showcase Akiyama's Matt wrestling abilities. Um, early on, Nishimura is going after Akiyama's left arm, his shoulder. Um, maybe sort of get that arm bar situation there. Uh, during a test of strength, uh, Akiyama clearly shows off his strength by winning it and pushing Nishimura down, but to avoid getting pinned, 
Ishimura turns himself into the bridge, using his neck strength to basically hold strong, hold firm uh, against the strong Akiyama. Akiyama has technical skill, but it's shown throughout the match that he doesn't have as much as Nishimura, uh, who just has more and better skill than Akiyama. Uh, Akiyama fakes a handshake at one point that I really like, and the match dissolves into an exchanging elbow strike. Devol dissolves, devolves into these just hard-hitting elbow strikes. The crowd is behind Nishimura here, but gives no reaction to Akiyama during elbow exchanges, maybe because I was thinking that, you know, he's not heel enough, uh, or that even though he is the heel, they don't want to boo him because, you know, look, he's a Noah guy, but obviously they like him, but, you know, what are you going to do? He's a star, so it's a star that's a heel that you would supposed to boo, but you like him, so you just choose not to. At one point during the match, Akiyama delivers a pile driver to the outside and looks for the count at victory, uh, something he did in the last match as well, uh, showcasing that he's seen that Nishimura will out-technical him, so he's changing his strategy to more brutal moves and strength, and especially he's attacking that neck of Nishimura. If you attack the neck, you attack the spine, you can you know, damage the rest of the limbs in the process in a way. Uh, he starts looking for a count at victory. Uh, he basically doesn't allow Nishimura back in the ring. Uh, every single time Nishimura tries to get back in the ring, uh, Akiyama does something to push him back out. He does this three times, and after that third one, he claps for himself, and the crowd finally boos uh, Akiyama. Nishimura finally gets back in the ring. Akiyama hits a pile driver again, then locks in a headlock using his legs, both uh, moves going after that neck that we discussed. Nishimura tries to mount a comeback with a sleeper hold, but both men fall outside. Nishimura turns to Akiyama's leg that he's working on previously and slams Akiyama into the announce table, then does a driving knee drop onto said leg. Tables are now turned where Nishimura doesn't allow Akiyama into the ring. Looking for that countout, does it three times to lots of applause. That dichotomy here between Akiyama doing a heel tactic and when Nishimura gives him a taste of his own medicine, the crowd loves it. Nishimura continues that submission game with an octopus stretch, attacking Akiyama's shoulder, uh, giving a diving knee to his leg followed up with a figure for leg lock. So he's going after the shoulder, he's going after the knee. He's just trying to basically tear Akiyama apart until he finds an opening. Uh, and uh, speaking of that leg, Akiyama sells it perfectly. He does that classic sell job where he is uh, Irish whipped into the corner, but he stumbles, he falls because his leg is so hurt that he can't run. Nishimura goes on to apply a second figure four, almost turning it into an eventual figure eight in terms of angle. Figure eight, Charlotte Flair's move. So Nishimura is in the figure four and then almost kind of bridges up. He doesn't really go for the bridge, but he is now like holding himself up so that there is an angle to the figure four. Nishimura misses the diving drop kick and Akiyama gives this opportunity to apply a dragon sleeper. Again, a move going after that neck. Nishimura tries to catch Akiyama with a roll-up, but Akiyama rolls through and captures a sleeper into the King Crab lock again, that guillotine choke. Uh, the finish is Akiyama goes for that running knee, but Nishimura dodges and gets the roll-up leg capture pin for the win.
conclusion. Usama Nishimura defeats Jun Akiyama in 27 minutes and 17 seconds. Because of this loss, Akiyama did not earn any points and stayed at two. It was, of course, an upsetting loss to be sure. This match wasn't half bad as well. Nishimura was an amazing technical wrestler and played into that, into the story. Akiyama tried to meet Nishimura at his level, but the sad truth is that Nishimura's level is just too damn high. Realizing this mid-match, Akiyama then changed his strategy to be more hard-hitting and go after Nishimura's neck. However, this ends up being futile. A trend I'm realizing in a lot of these G1 Climax matches from doing the show, and what might easily be a trope in all of wrestling, is the story of one person who starts with a strategy that ends up changing at midway through the match, ends up losing said match, while the other competitor sticks with their strategy. Because Nishimura never wavered uh, and kept attacking Akiyama's shoulder, while also then adding into it the leg, his strategy was to break down from two, basically battle from two fronts. That was his strategy. And he kept with it. And it played into the roll-up leg capture pinfall. Uh, it helped to hurt Akiyama and wear him down consistently until, like I said, a simple roll-up gets the win. The match could be summed up, I would say, by the test of strength early on in the match. Up to that point, the two men went back and forth on mat wrestling. When Akiyama went to showcase his strength, an aspect he was clearly able to do to overpower Nishimura, Nishimura went to a foundational point from his dojo training, and that was next neck strength. Going into that bridge, head on the mat. You basically, with uh, Nishim, uh, not Nishimura, Akiyama pushing Nishimura down, he even jumps onto him, so basically having his entire body weight on Nishimura, on that focal point that is his neck, but the neck doesn't give out. That neck strength and strong bridge allowed him to avoid being pinned where Akiyama's strength ultimately failed him. Block A Night 2 ends with Nakanishi with four points, Akiyama, Tanahashi, Nishimura, and Chono with two points, and Tenzan with zero points. Not looking good for Tenzan. On night three of the 2003 G1 Climax, Akiyama looks to separate from the pack against current Block A leader, six-time G1 Climax participant, and 1999 G1 Climax winner, Unabu Nakanishi. Basically, this match comes down to power versus power. Nakanishi tries to power out of a double arm capture, and after several failed attempts, he finally succeeds, showcasing that power that Manabu has. Uh, this also showcases Akiyama's strength compared to Nakanishi, who I would say is the embodiment of brute strength, uh, which is, you know, for Akiyama, it's not enough. He has it, he can hold him, but when it comes down to it, Nakanishi can power out. Akiyama catches Nakanishi on the outside with a diving high knee, finally befalling the giant. Uh, Akiyama focuses on the arm of Nakanishi with various attacks with the ring post. Uh, Nakanishi lariats Akiyama's leg on the ring apron, uh, then goes into a stretch muffler on the ring apron. It's a very cool spot, liked it a lot. 
Basically, Akiyama's on the ring apron. We got a quick lariat to that knee, dropping him onto the apron. Nakanishi gets on the apron, puts him into the stretch muffler. Very cool. Very innovative, I would say. And from there, the match order becomes a limb targeting match of Nakanishi attacking Akiyama's left leg for the stretch muffler and Akiyama attacking Nakanishi's arm, presumably for that Argentine backbreaker, presumably uh, for some other power move. Um, personally, I think if you're going after a brute strength kind of guy, you take down his legs. But uh, it's like going after big, big bad luck Fale and attacking his arm instead of his legs. I don't know. Uh, one point again to a leg lock, and there's a brutal palm strike attack back and forth between the two wrestlers. Uh, very, very brutal. These are tough, stiff slaps, basically, across the jaw. Akiyama DDTs Nakanishi onto the ring apron at one point, and I swear to God, Nakanishi just took the bump directly on the crown of his head. Didn't protect himself on all, at all. It was terrifying to watch. Uh, later on in the match, Nakanichi hits a Bobby Lashley-esque spear, uh, then follows up with a huge lariat. Uh, but then we get to the finish, which in my opinion was slightly weird, slightly awkward. With Nakanichi going for a powerbomb, Akiyama escapes and goes for a simple roll-up that Nakanichi kicks out of. Then Akiyama does another schoolboy for the win. It's kind of awkward looking. It looks sort of like a botch, kind of. It looked like it was supposed to... The first uh, roll-up was supposed to be the win, but Nakanichi kicked out, so I don't know what was happening. But it looked very awkward. Uh, so much so that, like, Akiyama seemed kind of pissed after the match. Um, but I guess we'll uh, listen to that now. Basically, to describe what is happening here, Akiyama is leaving the ring as quickly as possible. He escapes into an elevator, icing his knee with a, a fellow Noah wrestler and uh, looks to be a sort of a medic. But because of the media uh, in the way, uh, the elevator cannot close, and it's, he's there for an awkwardly long time, constantly trying to push the buttons on the elevator, uh, and <laughs> he just can't leave. He's stuck. Conclusion. In 16 minutes and 35 seconds, Jun Akiyama uh, defeated former G1 Climax winner Munabu Nakanishi. Despite that awkward finish, this match was again fairly good. Whereas Akiyama's first match showcased fighting spirit and his second match showed his the failures of strength versus technical skill, this match was just brutal fighting and limb targeting. Nakanishi worked Akiyama's leg while Akiyama worked Nakanishi's arm. The two men knew each other were strong, so realizing the futility of outpowering another strong person, they both choose to pick a spot to overpower the other one. Again, like I said... Personally, I think it makes more sense to swap the limbs. Go after Nakanishi's leg will make it difficult for him to create a foundation for that Argentine backbreaker. But alas, this did not matter into the finish when the match ended with a very awkward roll-up sequence. Like I said, it looked like Nakanishi was supposed to kick out of the first roll-up. Uh, that wasn't even supposed to be the first one. I don't even know. Uh, I didn't know it was really kind of hard to tell. Uh, but this does mean that with three nights down and even defeating a former winner... Akiyama is well on his way to win the whole tournament. Let's look over at the Block A Night 3 results. 
Uh, we're ending at the block in night three with Akiyama, Chono, and Nakanishi all with four points, with Tanahashi, Nishimura, and Tenzan with two. I'm very excited about this next one, folks. On night four, Jun Akiyama faces a one-time G1 Climax wrestler, mainly because they only started wrestling in 1999, four years prior. It's now time to see this young ace in action when Akiyama faces Hiroshi Tanahashi. Akiyama gets that early advantage, but ultimately Tanahashi meets him on equal footing, showcased through their dual dropkicks, dodging known moves, test of strength. It's sort of an equal opening sequence where people are dodging moves, cutting each other off, changing direction on the running, on the running the ropes, uh, doing those dual dropkicks, showcasing there is sort of an equal playing field to Hiroshi Tanahashi. Tanahashi dropkicks Akiyama to the outside and after a breather goes out to the outside to meet him and gets back body dropped for his troubles. Tanahashi gives Akiyama a brutal DDT to the outside onto the unpadded concrete. Basically, Akiyama lifts up the padding on the concrete at one point, and uh, he goes for a uh, move, but Tanahashi reverses it into a brutal DDT. Akiyama makes it back into the ring at 19. Uh, there's a back-and-forth elbow exchange that Akiyama wins. He puts Aki, uh, puts Tanahashi into a sort of an inverted pile driver, sort of that Styles Clash setup, but then he stalls the move so that he can walk around, spin around, and show each side of the arena what he's about to do with Tanahashi, even gives sort of a, a cheeky grin as well. Tanahashi, however, does able to make a comeback. It's a really great comeback. It's crazy watching uh, Tanahashi at this point where he's only had four years of experience. But Akiyama does cut off his comeback when he makes a sudden King Crab lock capture on Tanahashi. Tanahashi makes another fiery comeback with three German suplexes and gets a very close three count, enough to pop the crowd uh, thinking that Tanahashi would have won there. Akiyama cuts this off, cuts this momentum at the head. Uh, as he was facing a finisher, uh, that uh, an old-school finisher that Tanahashi had. Akiyama knees Tanahashi in the face as he's using the ropes to get up. Uh, uh, he's basically uh, he's climbing the ropes to get up. Akiyama sees this, just goes over, knees in the face. Tanahashi sells it like he just, you know, took an arrow to the head, like he just gets hit and slowly just falls back onto, his, onto the mat. Uh, there's a great sequence here. Tanahashi gets a sudden rolling pin. Akiyama kicks out. Akiyama hits a brain buster, kick out, then an exploder suplex. An exploder suplex Akiyama is known for. Uh, that is what gets us the win. Conclusion. On night four of five, Jun Akiyama defeated fiery young up-and-comer Hiroshi Tanahashi in 16 minutes and 8 seconds. 
The match opened with both men showcasing their equal skill and strength, which is amazing to see at this point. Tanahashi had four years of experience to Akiyama's 11, but we soon realized that Akiyama wasn't really taking Tanahashi seriously, meaning, yes, Tanahashi looked good and looked to be on evil playing field, but it's because Akiyama wasn't really trying. But this wasn't out of malice, it, it was revealed to be to me. Akiyama was more testing the young ace. Despite every move uh, being more and more dangerous that Akiyama threw at Tanahashi, Tanahashi kept coming back. He kept fighting, kept having the fighting spirit. He had the heart, the desire to win. The match was Akiyama testing Tanahashi to see if he had what a wrestler needed to succeed. And despite losing, Tanahashi proved that to Akiyama, showcased through Akiyama immediately going to shake Tanahashi's hand following the match and helping to carry him back into the back locker room after the match where the two shook hands yet again. There's a lot of talk nowadays of how do you make new stars in pro wrestling? How do you make new stars when the current guys are still good? It's moments like this. Tanahashi is proving himself to be a future star. Akiyama, although working for Noah at the time, was a great wrestling star in Japan as a whole, showcased through the crowds here as well in New Japan. Akiyama ultimately wins the match, but his excitement in congratulating Tanahashi post-match is that seal of the approvals, that tip of the cap. Yes, Tanahashi isn't a made man in this tournament, but his time is coming and those seeds are starting to be planted. The question for every promotion nowadays are, are those seeds being planted for the future? You don't need to hotshot guys into the title picture, into the main title, world title picture. You need to provide small moments, handshakes, nods from current stars, stars of the past. I'm thinking right now of like Sting, Darby Allen, the sort of moments that happened there. You need to provide those moments right now so that down the line with patience, that tree that you've planted seed for will bear once-in-a-century fruit. Block A Night 4 ends with Akiyama with 6 points, Tenzan, Chono, Nishimura, and Nakanishi with 4 points, Tanahashi with 2 points. ヒロイヤキコ様検証禁止や。G1クライマックスヘイブロック公式リーグ戦30分一本勝負を行います。長野君、186.186キロ。秋山淳。青コーナー186.186キロ。長野正弘。As the new Block A leader, Jun Akiyama hoped to maintain his lead as he headed into the final night, Night 5, where he faced Mr. G1 himself, 12-time G1 Climax wrestler and 4-time G1 Climax winner Masahira Chono. This match starts with a big fight feel, with just two men entering the ring looking at each other. Akiyama wearing all white, Chono wearing all black. 
Chono starts the match with a big boot and shows off the double bias to the crowd, which I think is very funny and I wanted to point out because he used a lower body attack and then showcased his arms. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I guess he won't showcase the legs. I think that would be weird, but it doesn't make any sense to me, but I loved it. Um, they, the two of them going back and forth a lot. Akiyama hits a fairly ugly, frankly, uh, dragon screw leg whip onto the apron to the outside. Uh, the fall was very rough looking, uh, but in a good way. But the dragon screw looked weird in a bad way. And then we followed that up with an awkward spot with Akiyama hitting Chono's knee on the barricade. It looked like he was trying to hit it onto the announce table or just drop uh, Chono onto the barricade on sort of his uh, in-betweens, if you will. Um, but Chono didn't really know what was happening, so it was kind of awkward. Uh, so it was kind of an awkward spot there. Not a great start to this match. Akiyama re-enters the ring to initial mix reaction, and then the boos start to overpower as Akiyama starts like looking for more pulling at his ear, trying to get the crowd to boo him even more. Again, this is uh, Chono, New Japan's Chono, been there for so long, former Three Musketeer, uh, the only Three Musketeer that's left, actually, versus a Noah guy, so he wants to get those boos. Akiyama continues attacks on Chono's leg with various strikes and holds. Unlike previous matches, like I said, this match feels more like Noah versus New Japan. Akiyama does a knee drop to Chono from the apron to the floor, which was just... Pfft, Jesus Christ. Uh, the wrestlers then go to a top rope and attempt a suplex, uh, it appeared, but uh, Chono slips and almost falls out of the ring, but to avoid a total botch, Akiyama just sort of strength ups, holds Chono, and then rolls, uh, spins him around and slams him down. So sort of really trying to avoid that botch, still get something out of it. Chono is able to turn the tide with a flurry of headbutts, a butterfly lock, then straight into his STF signature move. But eventually, Akiyama is able to get out of it. Akiyama catches Chono in a surprise King Crab lock, eventually into a beautiful high knee and two Exploder 98 suplexes. Chono stops Akiyama with a huge big boot. He hits a hard, shining kick into the corner, and the crowd is loud. Uh, for Chono. Both men are just physically drained. This match has gone on for 25 minutes now, practically. Akiyama hits an exploder suplex, and Chono rises to his feet and hits an exploder of his own. Chono flips over Akiyama and locks in the STF, really wrenching on it, really pulling him back. Uh, then <laughs> flips him over and goes for the weakest cover I've ever seen in my life. Not even full body-to-body -body contact. He's all, like basically holding him at his wrist and just sort of laying on top of him, kind of. Very awkward, very weird. Time is quickly running out. Maybe you should have had a better cover there, Chono. Maybe you would have won the match. Akiyama frantically goes for two covers after a big move. Each man tries to hit boots and running knees till they collide. Uh, Chono goes for a cover. One, two, three. Let's hear the finish of the match here. He's going for the cover. Akiyama kicks out with one second left in the match, and the bell rings. Conclusion. After 30 minutes, Jun Akiyama and Masahiro Chono's final match in the G1 Climax ends in a time limit draw. 
Like all time limit draw matches, the beginning is a lot of wearing each other down, and the final minutes is just a bunch of frantic spots exceedingly increasing. Which makes sense why Chona was so upset following the match. He's Mr. G1. A win would have given him a three-way tie for the first place in the block. Uh, in this sort of tournament setup, first place gets some, first place gets something. Second place, first and second place of both blocks, sorry, uh, face the revert uh, of the other block. Uh, kind of confusion. I'll go into it a little bit more, but uh, because he got a draw here and only gets one point, it's not enough. He's out of the tournament altogether. Not only did he not win, he didn't stop the Noah wrestler from possibly winning what you could say is his tournament. Match wasn't about two wrestlers showing who's the best. It was company versus company. A 40-year-old's legacy in this tournament against the star, the 34, I think, star of another company. Both men went out there to showcase why their wrestling company was the best in Japan. And even though this match ended in a tie, the personal defeat for Chono weighing down on him. Block A, Night 5, ends with Akiyama with 7 points, Tenzan with 6 points, Chono with 5 points, Tanahashi, Nishimura, Nakanishi, all with 4 points. This marked the end of regular G1 Climax tournament matches. All wrestlers have faced each other in tournament, and now we move forward into the semifinal matches. This is how it works out. Jun Akiyama was number 1 in his block, and Tenzan was number 2. Due to the 2003 tournament rules, Block A's number one would face Block B's number two in the semifinal, and Block B's number one would face Block A's number two. And after a Block B tiebreaker decision, it would mean that Jun Akiyama would face Block B's number two, Yuji Nagata, and Hiroshi Tenzan would face Block B's number one in Yoshihiro Takayama. Entering the final stretch, Jun Akiyama looks to face the second place Block B finalist, four time G1 Climax participant, one time winner, and Blue Justice himself, Yuji Nagata. It should be noted that Nagata earned the spot in a tiebreaker match earlier that night by defeating Katsuriya Shibata in four minutes via TKO. Not the wrestling move, the referee decision, a total knockout. Uh, I believe it was just from kicking him in the chest over and over again, which was great to watch. Getting into the notes of the match, the match starts with a flash with Nagata hitting a running boot back body drop in a very close three count into a cross face. Nagata tries for like a sort of Rings of Saturn addition, but Akiyama reaches the ropes. Very hot flash start here where he's trying to get that flash victory. Back in the ring, Nagata continues his domination, tries to hit an explorer suplex on the top rope, but Akiyama escapes and hits a flying knee. Akiyama hits a move to Nagata, who flies off the apron and hits the back of his head on the barricade. Akiyama goes outside to meet him there, throws him on top of it for more pain, and again looks for the countout. Classic heel move in Japan uh, when they go, when heels look for the countout. 
Nagata tries to re-enter the ring, but like his first match against Tenzan, Akiyama brings Nagata into the corner ring post and does a stunner over the post, followed up with a pile driver. Akiyama continues the attack on Nagata's neck. Sort of actually alluded to Nishimura's match, I should say. Akiyama goes for the apron DDT like in his match against Manabu Nakanishi, but Nagata had it scouted and does it to Akiyama instead with this slam onto the floor to boot. Nagata gives Akiyama a stiff kick in the chest, which TKO'd Shibata earlier in the night. Nagata goes for three stiff kicks, folks. Three stiff kicks. Nakayama and Akiyama lets out this sort of voice crackling scream. And the two break off into an elbow exchange. Akiyama goes for a running knee into the corner, but Nagata literally brushes it off, similar to the Tenzan match in night one. Both men exchange exploder suplexes. Akiyama gets Nagata in the King Crab Lock. He goes for a second King Crab Lock after the escape, but Nagata converts it into a crossface. Nagata keeps up his momentum by hitting an Enziguri, and then a huge Exploder Suplex, practically flipping Akiyama in that, in that move process. And then he does a running meet into the corner for a huge pop, hits another Exploder for a very close three count, which popped me out of my chair. Uh, the two battle back and forth with strikes. Crowd very hot behind every single shot. Akiyama hits a flash knee strike into a brain buster like the Tanahashi match, but doesn't get the win here. Akiyama hits two more explorers. Akiyama hits two more exploders, but Nagata kicks out. The crown is unglued. Akiyama hits an exploder on Nagata on the crown of his head and wins the match. Conclusion. Jun Akiyama defeated Yuji Nagata in 16 minutes and 11 seconds. Like a great SNL sketch, this match had everything. Akiyama pulled moments from each of his five match matches previously to overcome Yuji Nagata. Nagata went for that flash KO victory, but it was the puro wrestling style that ultimately prevailed. I don't have much to say other than this match was just awesome to watch. I loved it so much. It felt like that Ishii Shibata match, G1 Climax match with that pace, hard hitting mix of the backstory of the previous matches mixed with a little bit of like Okada in there for like the modern references, everybody. But it was just great. It was must watch for me. My favorite of the tournament so far. Uh, he just used everything that he had previously sequences and spots from previous matches in this tournament to end up in this semifinal match. It was just so great. Such a culmination to that story. This is it, folks. The G1 Climax Finals. Only one other G1 and only wrestler has made it this far, that being Rick Rude. This is a rare company to be in for Jun Akiyama. And in the perfect loop, we end where we began, with Jun Akiyama taking on Hiroshi Tenzan. 
can Jun Akiyama, an outsider, a Noah star, win the whole G1 climax? He beat Tenzan before. He had a, even a one-match break, whereas Tenzan's going straight into the finals out of his 20-minute semifinal match previously. Everything is set up perfectly for Jun Akiyama. Will he do it, or will the master of the Mongolian chop find the strength, the skill, and more importantly, the heart to get the win? Folks, let's get into it. Right now we are listening to the opening entrances. The first time this DVD has shown me the entrances to the matches, the finals here. I just want to speak to the general excitement that I have heading to this final. I'm legit, at the time of uh, while I was watching all this, generally excited. Uh, someone's holding a sign, or just to talk about the visuals here, someone's holding a sign that reads Big Comeback Tenzan, which is true. He started with uh, two losses, slowly got into the second place spot, just barely, with Chono's loss. Uh, Chono's loss uh, beat Block B's winner and finds himself here, so definitely a comeback, definitely a comeback indeed. To start the match off, the two exchange shoulder blocks, and then Tenzan asks for a test of strength. Again, he wants to show that he has more strength here than Akiyama. We begin the previous match, I should note out, with a test of strength. Tenzan brushes off a rising knee strike and hits a shoulder block, which stunned Tenzan again. Just again, similar to that first match. This, however, feels like a different Tenzan. You can even see it. This is a different Tenzan. This is a guy with motivation. This isn't one, a Tenzan from before. This is one that Akiyama was not expecting. The two then go into a headbutt strike exchange, which breaks into Mongolian chops, the third of which Akiyama blocks and then gives his own Mongolian chops, which Tenzan responds with a huge headbutt, dropping Akiyama. Tenzan chops down Akiyama into the corner, following up with even more stiff chops to the chest. Tenzan escapes to the outside at some point when Akiyama hits a running knee from the apron. Akiyama puts Tenzan to the apron, and then like the Undertaker's does sort of a leg drop, you know how the Undertaker does his classic leg drop into the ring apron, uh, Akiyama does the same thing with a dropping a knee strike. Tenzan out on the outside, and Akiyama rolls back in, looking for that count out. Again, classic moment here. The crowd's booing. Akiyama then spits at the crowd uh, in maybe say disgust, maybe in disapproval. Who knows? Tenzan eventually gets back to the ring. Akiyama plants a huge DDT in the center of, her, of the ring, and Tenzan gives sort of a Naito Abushi Pak like sell, where he's just literally planted in the middle. Uh, firm as a plank of wood uh, and falls back down. 
Again, here, Akiyama is focusing on Tenzan's neck, looking to set up for that King Crab lock. It's worked before. Uh, to set that up even more, he goes for a stall pile driver, a driver, uh, pile driver that he stalled for 30 seconds, in fact. I timed it. Uh, Akiyama then goes for an apron DDT, but Tenzan reverses it into his signature back body drop. But somehow, Akiyama lands on his head. It was that sort of like... That, that if you've seen Tenzan wrestle, he does sort of a back body drop sort of move. He sort of brushes the guy over like one shoulder. And somehow he overturned, over-rotated Akiyama lands on his head. Just looked brutal. Tenzan, much to the referee's chagrin, hits a bunch of diving headbutts. The referee's trying to check on Akiyama. Uh, he's always in the corner. The referee's checking on him. Uh, and Tenzan runs over, does a diving headbutt. Referee yells at him. Tenzan does another diving headbutt. The referee yells at him again. He's doing this all behind the referee's back as he's checking Akiyama. Tenzan does another diving headbutt. Uh, just great sequence where Tenzan's not letting up on Akiyama, which I think is a great move for Tenzan. The two men go back and forth, teasing a suplex into the ring versus the floor, but Tenzan ends up winning that battle, bringing Akiyama into the ring. Tenzan attacks Akiyama's ribs with strikes straight to the ribs. Should be noted that post the Nagata match, Akiyama was wearing a wrap around his ribs, sort of icing those ribs, keeping them straight, you know, keeping them together as he heads into this match. So uh, Tenzan apparently knew this, saw this, uh, and was using this to his advantage. Tenzan nails a second rope diving headbutt directly to Akiyama's ribs. Tenzan climbs the top rope again for a moonsault, but Akiyama gets up and power bombs Tenzan to change the tides here. Similar to the Tanahashi match, as Tenzan's using those ropes to get up, Akiyama hits a running knee strike, then a knee strike into the corner into the Exploder Suplex. Akiyama ribs are hurting him badly. He doesn't follow up the Exploder Suplex. His ribs are hurting him so badly, he's visually showing that he's having trouble breathing. Tenzan captures Akiyama with a buffalo sleeper, holds it in there for about a minute to sort of wear down Akiyama here. Tenzan then follows up with his signature bulldog slam from the top rope. Following a rib breaker, Tenzan then hits that moonsault finally for a very close three count, waking the crowd back up. Akiyama hits an exploder. Tenzan gets up fast and hits, and Akiyama hits a second exploder. That's the exact way that they won the first match, but the ribs are so damaged that he can't follow up. There's then a running knee into the corner for a close three count into the king crab lock. Tenzan is fading. The referee is checking. Tenzan legs give out again. Just like the first match, Akiyama rolls Tenzan over, looking for the pin instead, but Tenzan kicks out. Making mistake after mistake. The ribs are damaged. He's not going for the submission. He wants the pin over Tenzan. Akiyama goes to the top rope, hits a diving elbow strike to the back of Tenzan's neck. He's looking for the exploder suplex, gets it, but Tenzan was too close to the ropes for the pin. Rookie mistake. Again, the stress, I don't know what it is, the stress, the ribs, the, the, the determination of what choosing specifically you want, that strategy, it's making a lot of mistakes here for Akiyama. Tenzan then escapes from exploder suplex and hits a back suplex of his own, uh, but Tenzan is done uh, because Akiyama gets up first. Tenzan headbutts to the ribs real quick. Back suplex, crowd on their feet. Tenzan climbs to the top rope, hits a diving headbutt from across the ring, but Akiyama kicks out. Huge pop. This, this huge moment here. 
the two trade chops, Magolian chops, lariats, but no one gets the pin. Tenson hits a tombstone pile driver, but doesn't get the pin. He puts it into the Anaconda vice. Akiyama escapes. He tries to escape. They're both on the feet. Tenson still has the still has the Anaconda vice on. They both stand up. Tenson slams Akiyama back down into the mat. Still the vice on. And ref decision. Akiyama's KO'd. The match is over. Conclusion. In 31 minutes and 43 seconds, Hiroshi Tenzan defeated Jun Akiyama to win the 2003 G1 Climax. The Wrestling Observer awarded this match four and a half stars, and it was awarded the ninth match of the year in 2003. It's hard to describe this match in terms of Akiyama's performance because this match's purpose was to serve Tenzan. This match was his story, his G1 Climax, summed up by that fan sign, Big Comeback Tenzan. But for Akiyama in a larger sense, he completed his story in the semifinals. Here in the finals, Akiyama completed his purpose in the G1 Climax. And that was, in my opinion, to use his star power to put over and help create new stars for New Japan. You got to think about it again. The popularity and financial uh, presence of New Japan is starting to fail here because of Enochiism. So they make a good wrestling booking move in bringing a, few, a star from another person, uh, another brand, to make new stars here. Think about the matches that he had. Night one against Tenzan, we showcase that he's a great wrestler from another company that is here to win. Night two, we learn that he is beatable because as much as skill that he has, it's more the power of his heart that gets him through the match, and he still loses to Nishimura. Night three, we see more of that heart, but it's also his best straight, the strength of Akiyama that gets him through. And that also match, in that same way, showcases the strength of Nakanishi. But again, we're building up to this final, so we have to show that Akiyama is still better, while also in a way putting over his other talent. Night four, he beats the new up-and-comer, but immediately puts him over post-match. Night five, he represents company Noah against New Japan and G1's leader in Masahiro Chono, the last of the three musketeers, and ends it in a draw, showcasing that he is equal to Chono, but he's also starting to get tired. In that semifinal match, Akiyama uses everything he learned from the previous nights to defeat Yuji Nagata, and in the finals, he closes the loop when he loses, essentially putting over the new star in Tenzan, where he won, got that win back from the first night. And that match, as discussed, Tenzan had to go out and prove that he had more wrestling skill, more strength, and more importantly, more heart than Akiyama, and Tenzan did just that. Akiyama returned to Pro Wrestling Noah and eventually created the GHC Open Weight Hardcore Championship to continue his singles career, where he would go on to have the 2004 Match of the Year with Kenta Kobayashi. In 2006, Akiyama regained the GHC Heavyweight Championship until losing to Marafuji later that year. 
Following this, Akiyama returned to his famous blue trunks and wrestled in the tag team division until winning the GHC Heavyweight Championship for a third time in 2009. However, he was forced to vacate the title due to injury. He would return and continue to have stellar matches until he and other wrestlers left for All Japan. I should say he left back for All Japan in 2013. There, he dominated the tag team division, winning two different tag team titles. On July 1st, 2014, Jun Akiyama became the president, representative director, and co-head booker of All Japan Pro Wrestling. He continued to wrestle for the company, but mainly stayed in the tag team division throughout, developing and making new stars. He won the Triple Crown title in 2015 and also won the Giora TV Championship. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly in 2017, which is mainly a mid-card comedy gimmick heavy title. Uh, He held the title for 490 days, eventually losing it to to Tajiri. Two weeks later, Akian would lose his uh, All-Asia Tag Team Championship as well. In 2019, Akiyama stepped down from All Japan in June 2020. Akiyama transferred to DDT to wrestle for the remainder of the year, then signed a one-year contract on February 15th, 2021, and became DDT's dojo head coach. Again, the story of Jun Akiyama is that he is used, and he seems to choose to do, is to put over new talent from his time in uh, All Japan, where he started, to Noah to G1 Climax here, to what he's doing now as the head of DDT's dojo. At the time of this recording, he's still wrestling for DDT and is currently the KOD Openweight Champion. And that is it for the 2003 G1 Climax. I cannot highly recommend this run enough. Every match was amazing, at worst, just really, really good. Uh, I don't really give away my star ratings on the show, but one of Akiyama's matches did receive five stars for me. And if you know my long history of five-star matches, I rarely give them out. I did the math real quick. I've like rated over 3,000 matches, and I've given out 28 five-star matches. So it's very slim for me to give it a match that I love that match when you feel it in your heart of hearts that it's five stars. But that doesn't matter. What matters is Jun Akiyama had an amazing run in the G1 Climax. He played his role perfectly, and I've known, and I, I knew he was great. But without seeing him wrestle before, I instantly became a fan of his. Um, this episode was so much fun to work on uh, because I was allowed to watch all these great matches. I'm sure you all know where this is going, but let's make it official. Jun Akiyama's G1 and only grade A. we return with the 2004 G1 Climax. That year, the number of participants expanded from 12 to 16, and it reworked its final match process as well. But we are only going to focus on one man in that tournament, a wrestler with an incredibly short, flashy mystic career in New Japan. We are looking at the 2004 G1 Climax run of Blue Wolf. But as always, please stay safe, everybody, and I will talk to you all in two weeks on G1 and only. This has been a Countout Podcast.